So you two lovebirds can sit over there. I'll sit over here. So first question would be, I grew up, I think, with smart parents and dumb phones. Uh, but a lot of, uh, myself included, we're living in a generation where there's smartphones and perhaps many dumb parents. You know? um, so how do you advise, what's the advice that you give to especially young parents uh, dealing with technology and, and the, the risks that are involved in that? Um, how do you help, help families navigate that? The issue is, the issue is not smartphones uh, in themselves because they're just another tool, but smartphones are like kitchen knives. You don't let the three-year-old play with the kitchen knives. And so it's an age-appropriate thing. And the real issue is not the technology itself, but the attitude that the, that the kids have toward the technology. So if, if they are desperate for a smartphone, because everybody else in the seventh grade has a smartphone, everyone in their class has a smartphone, you're, the problem is the peer pressure, not the phone. And you would have the same problem if it was hula hoops. Right. Right. Uh, so, so what we've seen our kids do with our grandkids, because when our kids were little, that, that was not an issue. But I'm really glad about that right now. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we've seen our kids uh, letting, introducing that kind of technology as time goes by, as the kids are going, growing into upper reaches of high school, and they're, they've got demonstrated maturity. Okay, we can entrust you with this responsibility. Mm -hmm but you don't get it just because we can afford it financially and because all the other kids have them. That'd be bad. And what's the underlying, um, is it envy? That's the underlying, one of the underlying issues there with the kiddos wanting the, the cell phones, the, 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 the gizmos and gadgets of all the other kids? Well, it could be, but it could also just be feeling left out. It, monkey see, monkey do is a big problem. And, and so you, you want to fight that you want your kids to be um, leaders yeah. in their um, in their company and not to be doing just what everybody else is doing because they're doing it. And also, this is a really wonderful piece of equipment, right. <clears throat> you know, that they want to get their hands on for good reasons. So it's just teaching them the guidelines and obviously, like Doug said, equipping them to handle it. But it is a wonderful tool, and it's a way to call home. Yeah, right, and to keep track of them. The, the find your phone feature is pretty convenient. The you know texting, right where they are. Yeah, and the texting feature <laughs> right, that you right. can communicate with your kids is great. Maybe more broadly speaking, maybe talk about um, how you hunt down that, uh, in, in their lives, hunt down the, the peer pressure, the, the, the desire to fit in. Uh, more, maybe more broadly speaking, what are some of the things you do to nip that in the bud um, with them? Listen, uh, first, you have to be talking to your kids all the time. So dinner time in our home was routinely, every night, was debriefing from school. We would, all the kids would, they, they wouldn't call it reporting out, but everybody would tell about their day, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened. Uh, what I would encourage parents to do is to listen for, it's a keyword search that you're doing on your, on your kids' conversation, and listen for words like popular yeah right, right. well i'm not popular or that, you know suzy q is so popular that, and you should your antenna should perk up at that and and talk about those 
yeah. things. Who, you know. Popular by who? You know, yeah, who by, says? What, by what standard? <laughs> right. yeah. Actually, I remember being surprised when somebody asked me about that. Like, so were your kids popular? And, no, actually. And no, but I, I remember thinking all those years, I don't remember that word ever coming up. It just yeah. wasn't on our radar. Yeah. But um, I, some of them yeah. would not be invited to some of the parties yeah. because they would be the ones saying, uh-uh, we're not watching that. <laughs> they'd be the wet blanket yeah. on the foolishness. So, yeah. or they would not, or they'd be the ones leaving. Or, so they just, but they were good with that. Yeah. My mom would always say, Ben, you need to have a contempt for the cool. Right. You know, don't, yeah. don't be looking out the side of your eye saying, what, are, what is everybody else doing? You need to be doing what right. you're supposed to be doing, right. what, we've, what we've raised you to do. Um, I've heard you say before that 95% of a child's spankings uh, should happen before they're five. Uh, can you elaborate on that? So hard to remember, you guys. And it's not because you're counting, right? It's not because you've got a little tally mark that you're... Yeah, love does was, not keep a record of wrong. This was so long ago, but some of it still is... Yeah, I but remember, yeah. When the kids were preschool, the, the, um, that comment comes out of um, a common tendency that parents have when, when kids are little, when they're just a toddler, sin is either cute or not destructive. You know, you, they can pitch a fit, they can pitch a fit and it's embarrassing at Walmart or something, but it's not the end of the world. But that lack of discipline gets bigger and, uh, and stronger and louder. And by the time you've got a 15 or 16 year old boy, you've got a package, of, a bundle of undisciplined uh, passions that have, never, that have never been disciplined. And then, and then parents panic and crack down you're grounded, there's a curfew, um, and they start, they start trying to implement discipline for the first time when the kid's 15 or 16, and all that does is provoke rebellion. So we propose flipping that so that when there's, uh, my philosophy is uh, uh, when you're bigger than they are, make them do what you say. <laughs> right? So, and, and that is, uh, that is more than reasonable when they're uh, little kids. So we we the preschool years were when you established your authority, where it was strict discipline. Sometimes things would get a little raggedy around the house, and we'd um, we'd line the kids up, and we we called it a reign of terror. Um, we, we'd say to the fondly, fond, uh, fondly, yeah. 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 We'd say, no, kids, things have gotten a little raggedy around here, and, and so I want you to know for the next few days, it's no, it's no warnings, it's just, you know, discipline immediately. So we would sometimes have to adjust that way, but overwhelmingly, the corporal uh, punishment was prior to the school years, and then a handful of times during the elementary school years, and then I, I don't recommend, I learned this from my dad, I don't recommend physical discipline after a child's 12, uh, uh, 12 years old or so, because you get to the point where you're not just disciplining them, you're insulting their dignity. Yeah, and uh, maybe tease some of that out. What would be, um, when you're sensing that things are going raggedy, um, what are some of the ways that you draw those lines of, uh, they're not quite crossing the line, 
uh, but they're getting awfully close to it. You, you know, you've said to do this, and they haven't, they just come right up to the line. They don't cross it. How do you um, begin to uh, clamp down when they're not quite breaking the rules, uh, but they're getting awfully close to it? Well, a reign of terror was a formal event. So it meant there'd been squabbles, it's just kind of not quick obedience. It's a little, just not. The feet are dragging. It's just not, everything's not in ship shape. So then they knew ahead of time, yeah. there's no warning, it's just going to be a swat yeah. or whatever. Um, and it just immediately improved. Because I think most of the time when we had that little family meeting, everyone was, Shaped up. it was all different. Yes, we're on. We're back on our game. Also, also when, when kids are walking the line, you need to understand that, that they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You draw the line, and yeah. then they just walk right along. Right. One, time, one time, kids were being babysat, and the babysitter said uh, to them, I think they were putting down for bed or something. Well, they, first they were playing hide-and-seek. Okay. And Rachel, the youngest, kept messing it up somehow or other. <laughs> Isn't that what happened? If it's and this, so the same story. Maybe it's not the same story. <laughs> but, I, okay, I better finish this You one. tell yours, and so, you tell yours. Okay. How about that? So, we had a, we, the woman we asked, baby said, ended up becoming a cop. So, I mean. That's yeah, the same story. <laughs> so she at some point told Rachel one more peep out of you and you're going to bed and Rachel went peep <laughs> Woo. so yes when we got home and heard about it she was we disciplined her and she had to make an apology yeah, to, because, yeah. but when a kid's walking the line parents can oversee it and say all right things are raggedy they haven't disobeyed yet but they've got all the willingness to right. disobey uh, is there. And so what you do is just watch them like a hawk right. and say they, they clearly need discipline. And, and so you just wait. It's just a matter of time before a toe goes sure. over the line. And when that does, then you act, you act mm -hmm. decisively at that point. And the discipline is a cleansing event. Right. Sure. And oftentimes you can, in a certain sense, manufacture the crisis right. where you say, go get me the ball, or, yeah. and when they disobey, they've now yeah. formally crossed the line. <laughs> and it truly is cleansing. Right. So it's, this happened, here's the discipline, judicially, yeah. you know, meted out, and then there's restoration, forgiveness, and there's happiness. Uh, you, you, you mentioned the, the teenagers, you know, that are going off the rails. Uh, my dad was a youth pastor for many years, and, you know, Perhaps one of the most common things he would see is people bringing in their rebellious teens, you know, that are getting piercings and smoking marijuana behind the high school kind of thing. And the parents come and say, fix him, fix her, you know. Um, what, do you, what do you say to parents uh, who maybe feel like the concrete has set with their 15, 16, 17-year-old? What do they need to do? Um, where's the starting point for a, for a parent like that? Um, it's hard to know with... Apart from the particular situations, sure. but um, some of you may be aware of um, the broken window uh, philosophy of policing in a big city. Instead, of, sometimes people say, "Well, let's just police for the big crimes, the murder, you know, the murders and the assaults and stuff." Um, but 
one of the ways New York City was cleaned up and made habitable again, made livable again, was because uh, was through um, uh, disciplining minor offenses. So if you uh, if the police start disciplining for people who are jumping the turnstiles and subways, or if they start uh, addressing petty vandalism, the broken window thing, uh, it's it was amazing what that did to the other big ticket items. So what many people don't realize is uh, a kid with permanent bedhead and he wants a tattoo and he want you, you know he's he's surly all the time is many times people say see look at this total rebel and what they ought to be thinking is man how much louder does this kid have to scream right. would somebody love me right. right would somebody please draw a line would somebody establish definition for me uh, so I think teenagers who look far gone uh, not nearly as many of them are far gone as look that way, sure. right? If um, so, I would encourage parents like that to start addressing day-to-day um, -day things. You can't talk to your mom that way, you know. You, you just start loving through discipline. Sometimes they're they they really are around the bend and they're in full mm -hmm. tilt rebellion, and what they need to do is be made to join the Marines. <laughs> right. One of the things we were interested in was the morale of the crew. So it wasn't a heavy hand and lots of rules, and it was a happy place to be. And the reason it was happy is because we were dealing with the little things that right. started bringing everybody down. And you can tell when a kid just looks miserable and, and, or, and when they look happy. Yeah. So. And your dad talks about uh, the pour on the love Kind of, and I think he, in How to Be Free from Bitterness, he talks about speaking at uh, places and saying, how many of you did your dad say he loved you? Right. And how many of you wish he had said he loves you more? You know, mm -hmm. And everybody raises their hand. And along those lines, my dad's written a short little article booklet called Saturation Love. Yeah. That is a, um, a wonderful yeah. way of addressing some of these problems. Uh, somebody writes in and asks, uh, we had our first toddler all-out tantrum recently. Uh, congratulations to whoever that was. Uh, <laughs> Do we have a witness? <laughs> That's have right. Amen? Um, how do you, how do you uh, train up a child uh, out of that disobedience and anger and when you're, both, when you're both determined to win the battle? You know, how do you deal with the tantrum issues? You have to start by realizing what a big deal that winning that battle is. Sure. So uh, going back to what I said earlier, you're establishing um, who's going to be king of the house. Yeah. And... Uh, the child has gotten, um, my, my dad also, quoting him a lot, he, he calls little babies uh, in, in their swaddling clothes, he calls them little bundles of sin. <laughs> <laughs> All they need is the requisite muscle strength and intelligence, and they will start <laughs> sinning. Right. And the first place they will start sinning is in challenging your authority because they want to be uh, in authority. So what you have to do is make sure that you win. You yeah. just have to win. Um, uh, and if you say, but I don't know how to win, well, wait, your two-year-old knows how to win. Yeah, yeah. Should I tell the Nate story? Yeah, why not? So something about Nate, he learned how to argue early on. He had that skill. But, also, but I remember this was a turning point. He, 
he was just about on the edge of outgrowing his nap. So I put him down for his nap. He came out. He's like, no, you need to stay in bed. And if you get up again, there'll be swats. So he gets up again. There are pro the swats happen. And she knows how to deliver Well. <laughs> we, we used to talk about getting a holster made. <laughs> So then he got up again, and so swats. And then I put him back down, like, you need to stay in bed. Got up again, swats. How many times? Four or five. Four or five times. Or five. So each time I'm probably giving him maybe five swats. I may have moved up to 10 at the end, but I called Doug finally, and I said, so I put him back down. This has happened four or five times. What do you suggest I do next? Because I have to win. He said, I will be right home. I wasn't expecting that, nor was Nate. <laughs> we won. I, and I remember it vividly because we lived in this little duplex and I pulled into the driveway and Nate was sitting out in the living room on the couch believing with all his heart that he had won. And he saw the car pull into the driveway and I saw a little, uh, well, he's got his hair shaved off, but a little blonde head. Um, jumped off the couch and headed for the bedroom. <laughs> See, he wanted to get under the covers and start snoring. Yes. <laughs> but I'm obeying now, Daddy. <laughs> and one of the things that we taught them was, and particularly to a son, because when boys see mom, they see a woman, you know, and they don't necessarily want to be in under, under the authority of a woman. So Doug would say, I want you to always see me right behind, you know, my shadow looming right behind mom. So that was the only time I remember a serious backup call. One, uh, one time I had a conversation again with Nate, and I said, I, he was in bed, and I said, so you've been having trouble with obeying your mom? And, yeah. And is it, is it because you don't uh, like taking orders from a woman? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, that's too bad. <laughs> and that's, where that's it, the way it's going to be. Because that's what, you got, that's what you got to do. But I want you to understand that when you're obeying her, you're obeying me. And so that's one of the things, another principle here, is that mom and dad have to be on the same team. Mm -hmm. And they have to, if there's any um, difference of opinion on how this ought to be approached, that not, ought not to be voiced in the presence of the children who will see that fissure and will exploit it. Um, yeah. you, if you've got some sort of difference, talk about it out, out of the uh, earshot of the kids. Can I say a word about the tantrum? Yeah, please do. So we've had a lot of great examples in the last 20 years of watching our kids handle their own kids. And uh, I don't know that I should drop names on who this was, but one of the granddaughters had been a princess for Halloween. It was like the fall carnival or something. You know, they weren't, anyway. And when they got back, they came by our house and they were gonna swap the kids into their pajamas. And she did not want to get out of her princess outfit. She was a princess. And totally flipped straight, out. Straight to her head. Flipped out. And she was, what, two? I mean, yeah. two. And, um, so I may as well say, Luke took her back to the hall bathroom at our house 
And all he did is he just sat in there with her on his lap, holding her. She was screaming her head off. He was just telling her to, you know, calm down. And I thought, is he spanking that child? You know, what is happening? And she screamed for, I don't know. 45 minutes. Um, he just stayed in there with her until she was all done. And they until had, he won. Until he won. And he was not paddling her. He was just holding her, but she couldn't get down. You know, I mean, she was, and daddy Ra was holding her. And then Rachel's response was, that does it. Next Halloween, you're a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so beware. Yeah. But he won. He yeah. won. And I was really impressed because she was totally, you know, fixed when she came out. And so much of that for even young married couples before they have kids, so much of that is setting those precedents. And then once you have kids, setting those precedents, setting those order, setting that order and that tone and that aroma in the home That's right away from the beginning. Not only so, it's really crucial that you win these battles with the toddlers with your first, because one of the things that that will do is older kids will teach the younger kids the ropes. Yep. You know, th this is what flies and this is what doesn't fly. And it really helps yep. out. As a new grandma, so Ben Merkel broke me in. <laughs> and and my grandson Knox. So Knox sometimes didn't want to leave our house when he was a toddler, and he would just lie down on the floor by the door and would not budge. <laughs> so, and when they do that, they they like double their weight at yeah, least. Like they somehow so, find a way to be like 300 pounds. Yeah, but not to Ben, it wasn't that. But, so he would just scoop him up and take him back to the bathroom. And I can remember. I don't know if it was that offense, but some other where I'd say, "Oh Ben, oh Ben," you know, and I think, oh. It's bad. I should not do that. And when he, I'd say, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I bless you, Ben. I want good grandsons. Go do it, you know. <laughs> but he was a Marine. You know, I mean, he was going to take care of things. And yeah. I do have very good grandsons. So I bless their dads for all those. And we, we didn't want to visit any of our grandkids in the penitentiary. No, <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> How's it going in there? You know? yeah. But one time, Ben was leading Knox. He was just half pint, he was leading them off down the hall um, and to, to be disciplined. And Knox looked back over his shoulder and said to us, hang loose. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, as they say, kids say the darndest things, you know. Um, Talk some more about the, the role of, as, as you've gone from parents to grandparents, what does that look like? Uh, what does that role look like to be a grandparents? Uh, I think you can fall into two, two camps, either be the cheerleader or the, the critic, you know? Okay. And, and, it, and it has to be the cheerleader. Um, it, Nancy and I have had this conversation often with minor things, but what, but what it boils down to is um, you don't have, basically you don't have a right to your opinions that way because you had your chance, right? If you, you've got your opportunity when your kids are under your authority and they're still in your home, if you wanted to teach them the importance of this thing, you should have done it then. Um, so overwhelmingly, I would say, um, grandparents, keep your mouths shut. Yeah, and I mean, there've been many times where I've said, I'm very sorry that I said that, you know, to one of my kids about, and they're like, oh, mom, it's fine. They're very gracious, but I, especially Ben, was the one who had to, 
<laughs> extend that to me, just in learning how to stay out of it and let them be parents. And if you, if you exercise the discipline of controlling your tongue and not volunteering mm -hmm. criticism or input, you are ratcheting up the chances of your kids coming and asking for advice. So, uh, so basically, um, be very um, uh, sparing of your counsel or input, unless it's requested, because you had mm -hmm. your chance earlier. And I think our all three of our kids, and uh, they're just way ahead of where we were oh, at that, yeah. you know, at that stage of life. And so. Man, just look, let it ride. We have been, I mean, just legitimately impressed and blessed. And, and we learned a lot and are still learning just watching them do this. And that's where the encouragement goes such a long way um, to fostering that friendship relationship with your adult children. That they do want to come and say, what do you guys think about this? Or how should we handle this? We didn't want our parents criticizing us. And we didn't right. take it really well when they did. Sure. Yeah, we bristle a little bit. Well, I did. So this is a gold. But, this is a golden rule. It's yeah. a golden rule thing. Do unto others as you would have. Uh, you know, if you're in the position that your kids are in with little toddlers, do to them what you would like to have had done for you when you were in that circumstance. Well, recently, um, I don't remember where we were, but someone asked me the question. So now, do you give a lot of like you must have a lot of input on the discipline of all your grandkids? And I said, Oh no, are you kidding? And I just said, my kids are like 40, 38, 42. Do you think they want me coming along going, mm, look at that, mm, you know? It's like, did you, you know, want You you should that? really try. Yeah, <laughs> did you want that, you know, from your parents? It's like, no, no, we just enjoy them and pray for them and yeah, cheer them on. Somebody asks, as parents who didn't grow up in a Christian home, and who are struggling to implement family worship activities, we are wondering how consistent family worship relates to successfully keeping your kids. What is family worship, family Bible study? What does that look like? How did you um, incorporate that into your home? So um, my parents were both first-generation Christians. My dad became a Christian at the Naval Academy and my mom when she was 16. Um, so they didn't have Christian upbringings. They learned what they learned from just reading the Bible and figuring a lot of things out. We had devotions at the dinner table when I was growing up, but they were always, um, they, they were not regimented. It was not regimented devotions, and we did the same sort of thing. Uh, they were unregimented enough that I wouldn't even call them devotions or wouldn't call it family worship, but generally we did a lot of our spiritual interaction in between dinner and dessert. So dinner would be the time where everybody was talking about their day, um, after dinner, before dessert, we, I would read something. It could be uh, read a catechism question and discuss it, or it could be when the kids were younger, we used a book called Leading Little Ones to God where I would read something, or you know, we would just read and discuss. But it was more of a discussion and talk, just talking about what the Bible says. And we'd done a lot of that earlier. So-and-so said this on the playground, and I'd bring, the, well, the scripture says that this is what you do when something like that happens. So dinner time was the time where we did a lot of that sort of thing. And we also read, uh, we were a read aloud family. So I would read books during that time. And sometimes the family would conscript me and not let me. Uh, I remember one night reading Lord of the Rings for like three hours because, because they wouldn't let me stop. One time it 
at the dinner table, Doug was reading a scripture. You can remember the whole thing when Becca wheeled. Oh, oh yes. yeah. No, yes. you tell it. Yeah. So this was great. Um, um, Becca These are kids are probably two, four, and six, just so you have a context. Okay, so. Um, in that, somewhere in there. So sometime during the course of the day, Nathan, Nathan's in the middle. So Becca's the oldest, Nathan, and then Rachel. And Nathan had clocked Becca, punched her in the nose or something in the course of the day, and uh, had been disciplined, and uh, everything was fixed as far as he was concerned. He, uh, that was all done. And then, um, uh, and he was also at a stage in his life when uh, whenever he caught wind that we were doing something spiritual, like we're having the reading, the, the devotions at the dinner table, he was, he may have been younger than four because he was in a legalistic phase. Whenever he saw that we were doing something spiritual, he would launch into a list of thou shalt nots. Never uh, say shut up. Never, you know. Never say, you know, I won't tell you the other words, but that were off limits. <laughs> no, but no. he'd launch into this recital of the rules. Yeah, he would just say, he would start doing his catechism. Never do this, never do this, never do this. And one of his little litany things was never hit people. And, and so... We, that evening, that evening we were doing. I uh, got out the Bible. I was. I remember I was doing a Bible reading, and I got out the Bible to read. And Nate saw that I was reading the Bible, and he launched into, "Never say shut up." And then when he got to never hit people, uh, Becca wheeled on him, and said, "So why did you hit me then?" You know. You know. And Nathan has already been disciplined earlier in the day, and all forgiven, and typical male. What? What, what are we talking about? Um, <laughs> but but Becca was very focused and it was very clear that she was that Nate had been fixed from that episode earlier in the day but Becca was still bitter uh, resentful and so I switched the passage I was reading from Paul to I think this uh, Matthew 6 and talked about Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer we have to forgive others you just quoted the verse is what you did uh, yeah I, I I quoted the verse, but Becca hadn't picked up on the fact that, and she's just a little girl, um, she hadn't picked up that I switched from Paul to Jesus, and she said, well, who is this Paul guy anyway? <laughs> and I, I knew that my daughter had not been allowed to play with higher critics. <laughs> But there it was, theological liberalism. <laughs> the, the, the Bible is telling me to do something I do not wish to do. And so I either can conform, I can either submit to it, or I can challenge the authority of the Bible, which is what she did. So we, we worked through that. He said, Becca, this is Jesus talking that I quoted Jesus. Oh. <laughs> We worked it all out. So, but the, that was a natural, organic. That was th our family worship. Time. That's our family yeah. worship. Yes. Yeah. And in some sense, especially when they're little, you want to keep it simple, uh, tight, joyful, short. Uh, yeah. Keep it short. Keep it simple. Get it's, to, not got to. Yeah, it's a get to, goal. not a got to, and you you uh, you don't want to have it be a burden that everybody is slogging through. Uh, that that's just. You're just it's like making family time. Like, in here right now, we are going to play Scrabble, whether you like it or not. Sit down, put on your happy face. And the joy of the Lord is going to be our strength here. Yeah, who wants to be with that group? 
Yeah, um, scripture says in the Old Testament, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Um, <laughs> and the, the law is, is, when Paul says, quotes, um, uh, the, do not muzzle the ox, he says, is it oxen God's concerned about? Boiling the kid in his mother's milk is the same kind of thing. You do not take the thing that is designed by God to be the life and nourishment of the child and turn it into the instrument of death. All right, don't, don't take their education or family worship or our, our discussions about Jesus, put it into the cauldron, and then cook your kids in it. Just don't do that. You want, it to be, you want your family dinner to be a time of laughter, joy, music, uh, interaction, free talking. The kids, kids love to talk to their parents, and parents uh, love to talk to their kids if it's, a, if it's a get to. And that's the kind of thing that your time together ought to be like. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about what some of what Nate uh, discussed last night about the, maybe the balance between protecting your, your children and also giving them opportunities for the failure and toughening them up. Um, and maybe particularly in the, um, in regards to your, our, our daughters and whatnot with uh, sexual abuse uh, in, in, in this day and age where uh, there's a narrative that you know, one in four girls are sexually abused, which I think is a, a narrative being pushed by uh, liberals to, to advance a feminist narrative. Um, but at the same time, we wanna be wise with uh, how we let our children interact with other, with other adults and that sort of thing. Um, so what are some of the ways that you protect your, your children um, in the world at the same time raising them up to be uh, strong and, and sturdy? So I, one, of, I, one of the things we covered, when this is the sort of thing you uh, start have to, you have to get into in some detail when your kids grow into junior high, high school years. It's, it's important, you know, when kids are little, don't talk to strangers and you know you, you do the basics there. But when, you're, when they're out on their own navigating uh, social circumstances where people can be awkward or crude or inappro totally inappropriate, um, you, you want to make sure that your kids are, value righteousness more than politeness. Right? What's the righteous standard? What, what does God require of me? Rather than what is what might make this situation awkward, right? So, uh, and we, we would cover that with the, the girls. Don't worry about hurting feelings, you know, don't, um, and don't ever believe that women generally are to be in submission to men generally. You are not in submission to the guys in your class. Right? Thank the Lord. You may and not, you may not. You may not because uh, daughters should be in submission to their father and then when they're given away, they, they're in submission to their husband, which is a protection against having to be submissive to guys generally. It, so um, we, we would go over it. Um, one time uh, I told, the, uh, someone had made a comment about, they thought um, that the Wilson girls, Nancy included, ought to be wearing dresses to church and not ought, ought never to wear slacks and so I required all of them to wear slacks the next Sunday <laughs> and you may not bend to the, you may not bend to that kind of thing so and and, th and this it, there will be even in Christian circles even in places where you would assume might assume we're safe um, opportunities to do things that you 
take a stand will come up. So one time at a, at when Rachel was in high school, she went to a Christian worldview camp um, uh, in the summer, and, and she was um, uh, there, and they were, a bunch of kids were having ice cream, eating ice cream, and a guy on a dare, I think, came, came across the way and said something really crude and inappropriate uh, to her on this dare and got an ice cream cone in his face. Right. Yeah. And so we're very proud. Very, Rachel, that is well done, well played. That's exactly what, that's exactly what we want. She said, I, if I hadn't had that ice cream cone, I'm not sure what I would have done. Like maybe slug him? I don't know, but the ice cream was perfect. And that's where you want your daughters to be bold daughters, yeah. um, courageous yeah. daughters. Right. Um, What have you found, maybe last question here, what have you found in the, in the context of the home in general, what have you found to be the most likely thing to clog the gears of a healthy home life, of a healthy family, happy home? It's, the answer is going to be unconfessed sin, always. And in a, in a family that's committed to the Word of God and faithfully, faithfully attending church, the clogging will probably begin with unconfessed secret sin. You know, um, so it's one thing. A to, lie. A, a lie or a hidden, you know, something, something somebody denied having done or, you know, you said you did your assignment, you, didn't, you got away with it. So um, sin starts to accumulate. Um, sins are like grapes. They come in bunches. And so if you have unconfessed sin, then there's going to be two or three or four unconfessed sins. And then some of the sins, sins that are unconfessed become visible to everybody. And that, in Psalm 19, it says, uh, keep your servant from secret sins. Uh, uh, let's see, secret sins, presumptuous sins, then I will be innocent of the great transgression. So uh, if, you want, if things are getting ratty around the house, and, or think, oh my goodness, it's scary. Like this might really go off the rails and you're at the great transgression. Back up because you're probably dealing with presumptuous sins, sins that everybody saw, but nobody's, oh, that's just so-and-so or that's just the way they are. That's presumptuous sin. And then below that is secret sin. So you ask God to cleanse you from secret sin because that's the foundation of all the rest. Let's give them a hand. Thank you very much. Thank you.